Hi, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. And wish you all happy Mother's Day today. It's a day to celebrate and give thanks to God for all the mothers that we have in the world. Thankful for my um, mom as well that, you know, like last year, um, she got the uh, cancer. And so uh, thank you all for, the heal- uh, for praying for her healing. And uh, thank God for the healing that she's received uh, from the Lord. And so in honor of Mother's Day, I'd like to read Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 to remind us of how good our mothers are and also how God created them for the good works uh, with the good characters mentioned in these verses. Uh, This NIV. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bring her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle. With her fingers, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Her, um, Many women do noble things but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm-hmm. Honor her for all that her hands have done and that her works bring her praise at the city gate. And so we just want to thank God for our mothers and all these things I read. Uh, we can think of things that resounds that our mothers has also uh, shown um, to us um, just the character that she has. So. Thank, thank the Lord, uh, really thank the Lord for all the mothers. Today my message is called uh, Wake Up, and so uh, we want to talk about what we need to wake up to. Today we can see a lot of threats, threats to our health, uh, threats to peace and safety, threats to maybe jobs or the environment or to our family and many others. But today what are the threats that God wants us to wake up to? So today we'll be looking at a church which God calls them to wake up and may God speak to us through this message to the church in Sardis and let us read Revelations 3, 1 to 6 together. Okay, can read it all together. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. 
Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray before we begin. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day, beautiful morning that we can sit here and for this uh, beautiful place uh, to just listen to your word and to hear from you, to refresh our uh, minds, our soul, our spirit uh, in, in you, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord. Uh, we just pray that the love of Christ will continue to fill us and uh, thank you that we can gather in this uh, beautiful Mother's Day. And uh, may you speak to all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So it was one of those days that I don't have to wake up uh, for any meetings at work. So I, had, I can sleep a little later. So, but that morning, um, as I was you know, enjoying uh, having to uh, sleep more, I got this text at 7.30 a.m. So I looked at the phone and it was related to work. So it wasn't, it wasn't related to work. So I went back to sleep. Uh, and then just continue to enjoy a uh, beautiful, uh, relaxing uh, morning. Then I heard another text, and, and I look, and it wasn't for me this time, it was for someone else. They texted another person, and that person was in the group text uh, that I just got in that morning uh, at 7.30. So again, just uh, went back and, and sleep. And after a while, I heard another text. And so this time I thought it was from those same people, so I did not look at the phone immediately. And then I just, you know, slowly got up and looked at the phone message. And it was from someone at work. And the text reads, are you coming to the meeting? So, <laughs> that was a, a surprise. Like the church in Sardis, I thought everything was fine until I realized I had forgotten there was a special meeting scheduled that morning. The char- church in Sardis had thought that everything was going great. And um, so... Even though Jesus even said that you have a reputation of being alive. So they must have been doing well, so they thought. To the other churches, they look like a vibrant church. And yet Jesus sends them this message, you are dead. Wow, that's definitely not what they expected to hear. So the city of uh, Sardis, you can see the, the map here, well, the seven churches, uh, has an interesting history that illustrates this false sense of security. See, Sardis was the capital of the Lydian Empire a while back uh, before this time. And the original Sardis was on a 1,500 feet high plateau. And, and um, so there were steep ridges all around on the side. And so it made it like a huge watchtower in this uh, valley. It's called the Hermas Valley. In this valley, it rises up these steep uh, uh, sides, uh, ridges, and then so they're like a huge uh, watchtower. And so this is a very wealthy city. Uh, The wealth of Sardis was legendary because they have this river in the lower parts of the town. There's a river called the River 
Pactolus, Pactolus, and still this river has gold, like a, it's a gold-bearing river. So, you know, um, they could um, get gold from the river. There's rivers that has gold in it. In this, uh, just like in the California uh, gold rush, right? They they pan for gold in the rivers. So likewise, they have gold-bearing waters that made this town, this city rich, Sardis. Uh, so Sardis was rich, and the greatest of the Sardian king was called Croesus. So Croesus, actually his name is even used in the saying, as rich as Croesus. So they're known for being rich uh, because of the gold in, their, uh, in the river that, that, that's in their city. And so the city uh, is also, the, could the city uh, also symbolizes this church in Sardis, that they are also the envy of other churches as well, that they may have possessed great resources as well, just like Sardis was so rich from the gold. And then you see in this picture that this is called the, uh, the King Choresis, uh, his citadel. So you see the strong walls, and then there's also the tunnels that's dug into this Acropolis that provides a reliable source of water. So they're well protected, this uh, citadel. And it even has this phrase called, to capture the Acropolis of Sardis is actually a metaphor, a saying that people would use to, to say something is impossible. So it's a metaphor to capture the, this Acropolis of Sardis is a metaphor for achieving the impossible. So that's their reputation. Impossible to capture this uh, Acropolis, this citadel. However, the Persian king Cyrus, he captured this citadel because at night they had noticed that there was a, a, a Sardian soldier who kind of went down this secret pathway to pick up something. And so at night they decided to go through this uh, ridge, this fall in the rock and uh, climb up there. And when they got up there, they found the place completely unguarded because people thought, hey, no one could ever come up here. And they did not even have any soldiers guarding the citadel. So after conquering the city, uh, Cyrus, he forbid the Sardian um, people or men to uh, possess weapons of war. And so it does make them very weak. They, they, you know, they, they were not tra uh, forbidden to, to possess any weapons of war. So in the same way, would the outside pressures, uh, in the same way, slowly erode the the one strong faith of this church in Sardis that has such a great reputation uh, before. Um, and, and so um, also in history, this city centuries later, it was taken again. And again, this time Antiochus, another uh, general, another uh, king, you could say, uh, did the same thing. And they climbed up there and they found that there was no guard, so the city was captured again. And so, thinking about this to the church in Sardis, was this sense of complacency that they're well, well, um, I guess everything's going so well, this sense of complacency of the state of the, uh, what was this also the state of the church in Sardis after they have achieved a good reputation. 
So today we will be looking at three things that Jesus said in the message to the church in Sardis. And one is strengthen what remains, two is remember what you have received, and three is not soil their clothes. So first, let's look at the first one, strengthen what remains from verse two. So what did Jesus mean when he says strengthen what remains? And is about to die. And he tells us in the verse, For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So it was their incomplete deeds. So it's like when you turn in homework and the teacher tells you that it's incomplete. Or when you turn in this project and the boss tells you that it's incomplete. You have to go back, you have to finish the homework, or you have to finish your project. Otherwise, they will not be accepted. They will be rejected. And so, what would be the incomplete work for the church in Sardis? Could it be that they did all the things for God that looks good on the outside, but their heart is not really into it? Uh, were they just going through the motions to keep the church looking alive? I, this kind of reminds me of my English pastor before, so as he was teaching the youth, he would sometimes says, Look alive, look alive. I don't know if you hear that. Uh, so basically meaning that they're kind of falling asleep. They're not paying attention. So, so he had to say that. Um, so have they lost that close connection with the source of life? Because Jesus says you're there, right? So the source of life is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, could it be also that they have somehow compromised their work to avoid persecution? Interesting enough, a Bible commentator has noted that out of the seven churches in uh, Revelations, that there are two churches that were not mentioned in the uh, letter to them of any enemies who were either inside the church or outside the church. So take a look. Take a look at take a look at that those seven um, letters to the churches, um, and you'll notice. There's two churches, and one is uh, Sardis, this, this one that we're uh, studying today. The other one is Laodicea. So this is not a good sign because see, the church in Laodicea is the one where Jesus says, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's from Revelation 3.16. So William Barclay writes, a church that's truly alive will always be under attack. Uh, woe to you, said Jesus, when all speak well of you, from Luke 6.26. And so, there's nothing wrong with a church having a good reputation, both among the churches and in the society. However, maintaining a good reputation should not be our goal, right? But obeying Christ should be our goal. Amen? And if we have a good reputation in the world because we're obedient to Christ, then that's the grace and the mercy of God. Erwin Luther, in the book, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany, points out reasons why the church in Germany generally failed to be a witness for Christ when the Nazis controlled Germany. He writes, quote, The role of the church was minimized by privatizing faith. So privatizing faith means to just make faith just like a kind of private, right? You just 
uh, don't talk about it in public, just keep it, keep it to yourself. Privatizing faith and instituting laws about what could or could not be said from a pulpit. So pulpit is like where you, uh, you have the Sunday uh, preaching, right? So this is, I guess, what you call the pulpit, where you, the, the um, preacher stands and, and preaches. So they had uh, laws uh, that, that regulated what could or could not be said from the pulpit. And then, uh, let me keep reading. Uh, religious leaders who opposed the secular steamroller were intimidated by threats to them and their families. With God and religion removed from government, the values of Hitler's socialism filled the vacuum. The church will increasingly become the enemy of the state. And keep in, keep in mind that all of this happened under cold words, such as freedom, peace, and fairness. The people were assured that these changes were made with their best interests in mind." Unquote. So uh, what he mentioned about the best interest in mind reminds me of the different types of ethical thinking. So this type of ethical thinking I think will fall under what you will call situation ethics. So situation ethics is based on the philosophy called utilitarianism. So I guess the utilitarianism means kind of like what works, what's practical. And so this kind of philosophy or ethic, ethical thinking is basically, I guess, do whatever is the most practical. Uh, Jung Han says that this type of ethics is where the moral standards are determined by what is considered the greatest good in a given situation. Well, the greatest good in a given situation could be whatever that person says it is, right? Um, so if it's not based on the Bible, it's just based on what people say would be the greatest good in a given situation. So you can see how people could justify, um, I guess, their reasoning based on like, well, this is the greatest good in this situation. So however, what should Christians uh, think? Like, what should be our ethical um, model or thinking? Well, it's of course uh, the biblical ethics, right? So what is biblical ethics? Well, biblical moral standards is not based on what is practical, um, just what, what uh, just what is practical. It's not based on just what is considered the greatest good in a given situation, right? The biblical moral stands, uh, standards are the universal, is the unchangeable, and is the determined uh, will revealed will of God through His Word, right? So we know God's universal, unchangeable, and determined uh, will from his work. And so it's based on his work and not on whatever is the thinking of the people. Um, so what could be the incomplete work that Christ may want us today, us uh, Christians, to redo or to resubmit in today's world? So I, I read this from uh, Luther's book and kind of challenges uh, me as well. So uh, here's what he challenges uh, the people, um, and I'll quote. But if Christians are silent at our universities for fear of being disgraced, if believers are intimidated at work because of new laws that might keep religion out of the workplace, 
In short, if we keep Christ to ourselves out of fear of reprisals, are we not taking our stand with those pastors in Germany who chose to close ranks with Hitler? Is not our sin even greater? Since the consequences of our obedience to Christ is so minimal in comparison with what they faced. Unquote. So, very challenging and convicting, and, and I think sometimes we need to hear some of these challenge, challenging um, things um, to really uh, show, show kind of where we stand um, in our faith in the Lord. And um, may this challenge us. Um, recently, I checked out a senior center uh, to see if it can be used for ministry since it's a public space. So I found out the good news is that I can rent out the space for religious gatherings, and the prices go from like $35 an hour to $65 an hour, depending on the size of the room, whether this is for nonprofit activity, and whether I'm a resident. However, I found out, according to a staff, that none of the inside public space, they have very nice seats and sofas and tables, uh, you know, just for people to hang out. Um, thanks. And um, so, people can hang out in all these public spaces. However, what she told me um, is that uh, in these public spaces, not only inside the public spaces inside, but also the public spaces outside, that you can't have religious discussions there. Like, I cannot just have my own group of um, people and we're just there to maybe do a Bible study or even pray or whatever. And that, that was what um, they told me. Um, and I can, but I can hang out with my friends there and talk about anything except religion or, or God. Uh, yeah, so, um, and that's the challenges that we face today. So, may God strengthen us so that we will not be discouraged, we will not give up, and not. I guess feel like this is kind of discouraging us from doing anything or talking about God in the public, but that it will encourage us to just make whatever sacrifices it would take to so that people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, it may be more costly or more inconvenient, but the question we should ask is first of all, what can we do right to fully obey the Lord Jesus Christ in the great commission that He has given to us? And then let's figure out how much it will cost, and then let's first ask what is the best way to serve, and then let's pray and ask God for the resources necessary to accomplish His work. So uh, these things should not stop us. Uh, for ourselves personally, start with the question, how can I best serve Christ? And Christ is calling us to strengthen what remains that can be of service to Him. Because I think today, maybe a lot of things seem like it's taken away ministry opportunities. But, let, you know, Christ once again remind us, okay, strengthen what remains. That can be of service uh, to, to, to Christ. And uh, so that's the first point.
Second point is remember, remember what you have received from verse 3. Jesus calls the church in Sardis to remember them what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. So what are the things that they have received and heard? Of course, is of course the gospel. We're saved when we hear the gospel and we receive it into our life. But many times uh, 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 for uh, people, uh, things can happen after they receive the gospel. They can get busy with life and the gospel slowly become not as important, not as critical in, the, in their life. And if this happened long enough, it may even lead them to even doubt. Like, is the gospel true? Or like some, some, some doubts may start to creep in about the truth of the gospel that they have first believed in. So this is like the seed that fell among the thorns. Mark 4, 18 to 19 says that and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So here Jesus talks about the desire for other things. Uh, it is just anything that can choke the word of God in your life and make it unfruitful. So for you, what would those things be? What would be those desires for other things that would choke the word of God? And uh, so as we think about that is, uh, okay, so now we see that there are some things that may choke the word of God in our lives, the desires for other things. So what should we do? Well, um, Jesus says very simply um, in, in this verse, um, which is to uh, repent. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So it's very simple. Just we, you know, when we realize, oh, there's desire for other things that seem to choke the word of God, make it unfruitful, then okay, let's go back, remember what we have received, and uh, repent and keep it and repent and yeah remember just remember the joy that you have when you believed remember how amazing how awesome the gospel was to you and how you just wish wow i just hope hope other people know uh know this gospel and also receive what i have received right and so for the christian community what might be the desires for other things Luther writes, quote, in the evangelical community, psychology is substituted for theology and cheap grace has replaced what Bonhoeffer describes as costly grace. So I guess what he's saying is that uh, um, even in our teaching or our, what we tell people, we kind of move away from the Bible and just use maybe some psychology and, and things like that. And also the grace that we talk about is not the grace that says you need to live for the Lord. Like by the grace of God, you, you make the sacrifices to live for the Lord. And let me keep reading. Uh, quote, in short, we have lost our intellectual and spiritual center and replaced it with consumerism, self-help, and the quest for personal advantage. We are self-absorbed rather than God-absorbed, unquote. So yeah, this is, again, uh, challenging us to think, like 
what are we pursuing? Um, are we really pursuing God, His righteousness in our life? Um, and uh, so may God help us to uh, once again wake up to these things. And, and, and this is uh, God's uh, gift to us is that through His Word, He can wake us up every day when we read His Word to all the um, temptations that we may face and to repent of any uh, sins that we have. And that's all the gift of God in our life. And so maybe uh, people or you or others may be struggling with your faith. So I would say instead of questioning the reality of God, you just go back to just listen to God's word, right? Because the only way out of doubt is to repent from unbelief and turn back to believing God's word. Because how did you become a Christian in the first place? You repented of your unbelief to believe in God's word and that's how you God saved, you, you received God's word, you repented um, of your unbelief, right? So same thing when you start to feel like, you know, doubts and uh, questioning the reality of God, just go back to, to God's word and, 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 and believe and, and repent from the unbelief. Um, so that's the second point. So the third point is not soil their clothes, verse 4. So Jesus says in verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So William Barclay explains that, uh, uh, quote, a, in, ancient, in the ancient world, white robes stood for festivity, uh, celebration. And B, in, in the ancient world, white robes stood for victory. On the day when a Roman triumphed, was celebrated, all the citizens dressed themselves in white. And C, in any land and time, white is the color of purity. And D, it has been suggested that the white robes stand for the resurrection bodies which the faithful will someday wear. So do you want to someday walk with Jesus in that white robe? With festivity, with celebration, with victory, with purity, with reward, with the resurrection body. Do you treasure the reward of personally walking with Jesus? celebrating with him in eternity. And this is the opposite of the soil garments. So what does the soil garments represent? They are the sins of the people which have not been cleansed. As 1 John 1, 9 tells us, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So therefore we need to examine ourselves and to confess our sins to God and also to each other. We need to constantly live in repentance from sins. So don't go a day without asking God to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this is a daily thing that we do, um, is to keep ourselves uh, right with the Lord. So Jesus ends the message to the church in Sardis with five. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Amen. So before you get a little nervous, I want you to really be assured that our salvation is assured by our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's not doubt, brothers and sisters, God's promise of salvation when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
The key to victorious living is that we need to conquer the sins that so easily entangles us. If we don't stay alert and constantly keep ourselves undefiled by our sinful desires and the sins of the world, if we don't keep ourselves in God's word, in, in communication with God in prayer, we will get to a place one day where we, we, we may wonder if we're truly saved. And we don't, want to, we don't want to be in that place, right? So our relationship with God will grow so far apart that it will feel like we don't know Him at all. So if you look at the promise from Jesus as encouragement, know that we're more than conquerors in Christ. And when you abide in Christ, when you hold on to Christ, Satan cannot accuse you of being a fake Christian. And even if Satan accuses you, well, you won't listen to him because you're, you know, you know you're <laughs> where you stand, right? Like, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, right? And, and you, you know that uh, Christ is in you and you're in Christ. So then we can live with assurance that if, that if you die today, that you will be with God in heaven. And so here, of course, I want to uh, make a, a, you know, a, remind, a certainty that we hope by God's uh, grace for a long life, that fruitful, you know, live a fruitful long life for the Lord, right? So we want to live um, as long as we can to glorify God as much as we can. And that's our, that, that's our view towards life. And, you know, whenever Christ comes back, hallelujah, you know, we, we say, come Lord Jesus, right? Um, so what would you say if someone asked you, if you die today, do you know if you will be with God in heaven? What would you say if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? I don't know if anyone has asked you that question. Uh, will you say it's because you go to church? Will you say it's because you try to be a good person? Or will you remember that it's Jesus who provided the way to heaven? Will you remember that it's Jesus who paid the penalty for your sins on the cross so that you can have a place in heaven. I remember teaching the students in the baptism class about this. In the end, I asked them this question. Uh, if you were to die today, do you, uh, do you know if you'll be with God in heaven? Also, uh, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What you, will you say? And so someone, uh, one of the students answered, because I believe in Jesus. And since I've been uh, teaching this truth to them, so long again again that I, when I heard the right answer I was like oh yeah yeah you know but that's true that's 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 you know wonderful and I'm so glad that the student got it it's so simple yet many people will not answer it this way uh, sometimes if we don't stay close to God our faith our witness will slowly become dead like the Sardis church so we cannot rely on what we did in the past what is past is past Everything praiseworthy, give thanks to God, know God sees them, our successes are in the past, our mistakes are in the past, we learn from them, thank God for teaching us and forgiving us. So basically God is asking us every day, it's like what are you doing today? How are you living for Christ today? And so I memorized uh, Hebrews 6 as uh, part of a Bible memorization uh, a program called the Scriptorium. So I will close today and recite Hebrews 1, 1 to 12 to encourage all of us to leave the elementary things and to pursue the maturity in our faith in Jesus Christ. I'll show that here. 
So I'll, I'll recite it here. Um, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of instructions about washings, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces uh, thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burnt. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to have the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's from Hebrews 6, 1 to 12. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you. Thank you for your word to once us once again to wake us up to um, just our own uh, 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 walk with you and help us, O oh Lord, to be alert. Help us, O oh Lord, to just daily uh, read your word, uh, daily pray, uh, daily just confess our sins, Lord. Uh, all these things, Lord, will keep us, Lord, uh, continue to uh, uh, keep our faith strong. And uh, we just pray that every single person here that we will continue to encourage us uh, every day, every week to uh, just be uh, strong in you, Lord. And uh, thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters. We really cannot do this without each other, uh, that brothers and sisters are the spiritual family that you have given to us, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for providing the family uh, for us, Lord, to, to help us, Lord, uh, to, uh, uh, to be strong in you and to grow in you, uh, to receive the grace and mercy uh, from you through each other as well. Thank you, Lord, for all these things, and I pray in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.